Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Craig Allen, Medical Director at the Rushford Center and Vice President of Addiction Services for the Hartford Healthcare Behavioral Network. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. Thank you for having me. And we invited you in to talk about the startling increase once again in accidental drug overdose deaths in Connecticut. The Office of the Chief State Medical Examiner released the numbers last month, and it shows for the year of 2019, 1,200 overdose deaths. And it seemed as if maybe before we saw these numbers, there was a plateau, but not so sure anymore. Yeah, doesn't look like it plateaued. It's disappointing to see these numbers. The uh, things that we've been doing in the state of Connecticut, where we've been pretty aggressive, I think have actually led to keeping the numbers as low as they are. So you're saying if it weren't for things like naloxone, mm-hmm. these numbers would be even higher? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think naloxone is a is a, a big reason that these numbers aren't higher. And as sad as all this is, the work that we've done in trying to improve access to treatment for opioid use disorders, to connect people that have opioid use disorders with community supports, uh, all of this uh, education, public service announcements, uh, the work that uh, the state has done, the Connecticut State Medical Society has done, hospital systems like Hartford Healthcare and Yale have done. I think that that's kept the number lower, but it's it's um, it's really nothing to hang your hat on when the numbers are still so incredibly high. What are you seeing on the front lines? How has this epidemic evolved over the years? Yeah. Well, you know, there's um, there's uh, the, the, in the in the United States there have been three different opioid overdose epidemics. Um, the first one was 
uh, around the turn of the uh, century um, and had to do with totally unregulated opioids being used for all kinds of things. Uh, the second occurred uh, around the um, time of uh, the Vietnam War. And, um, you know, actually the, the first one was driven by the Civil War and continued after the Civil War and the invention of hypodermic needles right up through the uh, early 1900s. The second one uh, really blossomed around the time of the uh, Vietnam War and the returning uh, vets, uh, one in four, one in five of them who were addicted to heroin when they came back. This last um, overdose crisis started in the 1990s, and it's had three different components to it. Uh, The first wave was prescription opioids, so medications being prescribed for pain and the over-medication and the under-education of uh, the medical uh, practitioners and the push by some of the manufacturers and the regulatory agencies to treat pain really led to, to that crisis. And that's with OxyContin, and we heard about Purdue Pharma. That uh, uh, efforts to address the prescribing, the inappropriate prescribing of opioid analgesics by educating doctors and um, identifying patients who were at greater risk of developing problems and identifying other strategies to manage pain helped to reduce those prescriptions. But there was a transitioning of people who had developed problems on those medications to a cheap and available alternative heroin. So the second wave of this current crisis was around heroin, and that um, that lasted. Uh, it continues, but it lasted really from 2010 to 2013. And 2013 is when synthetic opioids, so fentanyl, came on the scene. In the state of Connecticut, heroin was the leading cause of overdose death up until 2017, and that's when fentanyl really took off in this area. But it's it's been around for the last um, five or six or seven years. This uh, fentanyl is really, really potent. It's unpredictable. It is, uh, because it's so potent, very, very small amounts can get someone uh, high. Very, very small amounts can get someone addicted rather quickly, and very small amounts can kill someone. And um, it's really impossible to predict what someone is going to get. And this has been mixed in with heroin. It's been mixed in with other drugs. Sometimes people believe that they are getting a completely different type of drug like cocaine, and it has been uh, diluted um, or cut with this super potent opioid. And so people who had only used cocaine might die of an opioid overdose, so die from a drug that they never knew they were using. But other people who are addicted to opioids actually seek out these very, very potent drugs and may seek out fentanyl. And now in the state of Connecticut, almost all of the deaths, close to 90% of the opioid overdose deaths are fentanyl-related. When you look at addiction treatment, is it difficult to provide adequate treatment when you don't know, you know, what sort of drug you want to treat someone for? Yeah. Well, you know, there there are signs and symptoms 
of opioid addiction and opioid withdrawal. But it has been a challenge with fentanyl because some um, some of the levels of care, um, they to access a level of care, you need to have approval from the um, insurance company. And um, in the past, approval would be obtained by getting a urine drug screen that was positive for heroin or positive for um, another substance that would be covered by their insurance company to come into an inpatient withdrawal management program. Some people call them detox programs. So someone could be safely managed in their withdrawal. With fentanyl, the testing uh, isn't really available, that quick turnaround testing at many of the withdrawal management programs. So that's been a bit of a challenge. And it has put pressure on uh, the providers to argue with the insurance companies that, yes, we don't have the drug screen right now. We sent it out. We can get it in the next couple of days. But they have all of the signs and symptoms of withdrawal, and they're reporting all of the symptoms that we would expect to see with with an opioid use disorder. And they may also have physical stigmata. They might have uh, track marks, you know, they would have uh, other uh, symptoms that would be consistent. And so it's, it's posed a challenge. But in general, um, you can be pretty sure you're treating an opioid use disorder. The complicating factors can be if there's also a sedative hypnotic benzodiazepine addiction, and that's a different type of withdrawal and needs different medications and a different approach. Um, if you're withdrawing from... Um, alcohol, uh, similar to benzodiazepines, but that often can complicate the picture. If someone is hearing this and knows someone who might have trouble with opioids or themselves might have trouble with opioids, what advice do you have for them? How do you best seek treatment? Well, the best approach is to talk to your primary care provider, talk to your medical provider. But some people don't have medical providers. One of the things that we've been working on at Hartford HealthCare is having a a pathway that um, is readily available 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year for opioid use disorders. And that pathway currently is through our emergency rooms in the central region, so Mid-State Medical Center. If you have an opioid use disorder and you want to use medication-assisted treatment, medication like buprenorphine-based substances, and one of the name brands that people are familiar with is Suboxone, you can go to the emergency room, tell them that you'd like to get on that medication, and they will get you started. And people that get started on that medication when they're ready, I mean, in the emergency room, you know, studies show that they're much more likely to stay in treatment. And with substance use disorders, because they are chronic and recurring diseases of the brain, the long-term treatment, long-term engagement is what is important. You know, a, a detox, a withdrawal management program isn't treatment. It's just short-term management. So getting someone actually involved in the treatment, like through the emergency room, right when they're ready, is, um, is really, at this point in time, the optimal way to engage someone in treatment. We will see somebody who has an opioid use disorder at um, one of our sites uh, Monday through Friday when we're open. But if what if it's it's New Year's Day? One of my docs was telling me a story about last New Year's Day 
when a patient had called and had seen one of our providers at one of our match clinics in the community, but didn't want to go on medication-assisted treatment. Well, they changed their mind because they were feeling really, really horrible, and they were having cravings and urges to use, and they didn't want to go back. So they called on New Year's Day, and the doc had, that was on call had never seen them before and didn't want to just write a prescription because they didn't know what they might have been using. But they were able to say, go to the emergency room at Mid-State Medical Center. They'll get you started. And they did. And that patient followed up in our program after the holiday. It seems more and more police departments are opting to get people suffering from an overdose treatment instead of locking them up. Is that paying dividends? Uh, I believe it is. You know, we're talking about uh, what might have been, you know, these numbers being so high. And I'm arguing that, you know, sadly enough, I think they would have been higher if we didn't have programs in place. There's a program that we have that we're working with the town of Meriden on. It's called the, uh, the acronym is M-O-R-R. And the way that the program, the MORE program works is first responders, whether it be uh, EMS or the fire department or the police, if they see someone out in the community where they have to administer the opioid overdose reversal medication naloxone, they will either contact us immediately or our team that goes out in the community or or give them our phone number, and we will reach out and try to connect with them and engage them and see how we can help. Oftentimes, those people who didn't go to the emergency room and they weren't asking for our help aren't necessarily going to say, oh, I'll come on over to Rush for today. But as we get to know them and they can trust us and they see that maybe we really do want to be helpful, we've been able to get a significant number of those folks to sign on for treatment. And uh, you know, some of the numbers in Meriden, where we're writing this program, the overdose numbers have actually uh, gone down. And I, and, and I think that that may be one of the reasons why. In addition to that program in New Britain, there's the HOPE program, which actually uh, has the opportunity for the Pol- New Britain Police Department to take people to the emergency room for treatment instead of giving them a ticket for possession. That's called the HOPE Initiative. And there's another program that's coming out of New Britain, which is a little bit different with the New Britain EMS, um, that's also going to provide another path for access to treatment. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Craig Allen, Medical Director at the Rushford Center and Vice President of Addiction Services for the Hartford Healthcare Behavioral Network. Switching gears back at the state capitol this year is talk of potentially legalizing recreational marijuana. And you have some cautions when it comes to that, don't you? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, the, I, my biggest concern really with legalizing marijuana has to do with messages we may be sending to vulnerable populations uh, to our children as to um, what we think about this substance. And, um, you know, the, the facts are that there are certain populations that marijuana can be particularly problematic for. And one of the most concerning groups are young adults and adolescents whose brains are not fully formed. Your brain gets fully formed somewhere between the age of 21 and 24, Um until that happens, any addictive substance is much more likely to become um, a problem and to cause other problems in brain development that can lead to cognitive problems, learning problems, 
mood problems, problems with anxiety. And if we send a message to the kids that marijuana is, um, we, we are not concerned about the health hazards of marijuana. We feel so comfortable with marijuana that we're going to make it legal. Um, will that increase their use? So I'm not saying that I'm for or against, but my argument is let's get the education out there. Let's be clear. When there's a lot of money and marketing behind a product, we sometimes don't get the full picture of both. We certainly hear about potential positive things that could happen, but we tend not to hear so much about what the complications and problems might be. So people... Uh, who have psychiatric disorders, people who are of childbearing age, because there can be a significant impact on a developing fetus, uh, people who may be breastfeeding, people who have other substance use disorders or used to have a substance use disorder, um, people who have chronic pain problems. These groups of people are all more vulnerable to the side effects, particularly developing addictions with marijuana. And I think that message needs to get out there. When you're listing off those descriptions, it sounds as if you're you're talking about alcohol. How closely connected are, you know, addictions to alcohol versus marijuana? You know, alcohol is um, the most commonly used uh, addictive substance for uh, kids graduating high school. Um, it's much more commonly used than marijuana, which comes in at number two. Two, it too can cause brain changes that could be lifelong and increase your risk of developing addictions to all other substances, including alcohol. And, you know, when I look at alcohol and I think about perception of harm or sending messages that we mean to send or don't mean to send, look at this addictive substance, this substance that we know causes um, more death yearly than opioids, more death, this opioid overdose crisis is terrible, and alcohol is account, accounts for more deaths every year, yet um, in, we send mixed messages about it. So there's advertisements on TV that um, indicate that drinking alcohol is sexy, it's fun, Really healthy people drink alcohol all the time. We see it associated with sports. And recently there were a series of uh, commercials which um, introduced alcohol to atypical, unusual situations. One of these beer commercials had um, pictured a young, attractive young adult male drinking a beer by himself in the shower. And another one had two, looks like, college-age kids uh, drinking beers in their bathrobes and pajamas while they're watching a noontime football game. So I think we need to be more cognizant, more alert, more aware at the messages we are sending as adults to our kids as they grow up in this environment and be mindful of that. And the same can go for, for vaping, right? And the same can go for vaping. I mean, here we have the lowest rates we've ever had in the United States since we've been measuring rates for cigarette use. And meanwhile, we've developed a different way to get nicotine into our systems. And the biggest growth, the most rapid growth, has been in our most vulnerable young population. So kids that vape 
have a rate four times or more greater than those who don't vape of transitioning to using tobacco cigarettes. Are we creating a future uh, population of, of cigarette users? But you don't even have to be using cigarettes to have um, problems caused by vaping. The nicotine in vapes can, not unlike other addictive substances, affect your attention, your learning, your sleep, your mood, and can uh, be part of the brain changing, um, cause brain changes that can last a lifetime and predispose you to having um, these other neuropsychiatric problems. So the message that was originally came out that um, these vapes, these these electronic nicotine delivery systems are um, harm reduction, they're for smoking cessation, that may be true in a select adult population. But for people who've never used a nicotine product before, these are potentially highly addictive substances. And for kids, you are uh, priming the brain for addictions and other problems potentially for the rest of their lives. As a child adolescent psychiatrist, what is so appealing about vaping for younger people? Well, kids, um, developmentally, it is normal. Their brains are wired as, as ours once were when we were younger to hang out with others others our age to, you know, we hear about the clicks, we hear about peer pressure. That's all normal stuff that goes on. So if someone is using, that's one reason others might want to use. But these new, uh, and kids are also wired to try new things and exciting things. And what is more exciting than this vape, you, these uh, these jewels that your parents don't even know what they are. They think that it's an external antenna for your computer. I did. And, and it's actually a smoking device. They're cool. They're sleek. They look like Apple products. And you can use them discreetly. So I was talking to a group of kids when I was of all places up in Portland, Maine, and uh, they were talking about using in the classroom when they have a substitute teacher, and the substitute teacher would turn around towards the whiteboard. And I thought, these kids are pulling my leg. This was a couple of years ago. I've got kids who go to high school. I've heard this story so many times. I know that it's true. You can discreetly use these products in the classroom, in the bathroom, uh, and, you know, to, to dovetail with some of my other concerns, like concerns with marijuana and young adults and adolescents, vaping of marijuana products increased in the United States. Um, it had the second largest increase of any addictive substances ever in the Monitoring the Future study from 2018 to 2019. So, is it catching on? Are we going to be seeing not only more vulnerability for tobacco cigarettes, but a um, an up-and-coming population of kids who are addicted to not only nicotine but also marijuana? And um, you know that that's not where we want to be going with uh, that, that. Those are not the handicaps. We want to be putting on our kids as they try to navigate um, this increasingly complex society that we have. What sort of regulation, if any, do you think might help quell 
the vaping epidemic among young people. One of the things that was recently passed was taking away these very, very attractive flavors. And, you know, there have been a couple of different studies that show, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent of kids would have never tried a vape if they didn't have, you know, fruity tootie or chocolate cupcake flavors. Um, so that has been enacted at the federal level uh, with Juul, anyhow. And um, I think that that will be helpful. Uh, taxes, making the um, costs more prohibitive can be helpful in keeping it out of kids' hands. The state of Connecticut back in October passed a law 21 years old. Before that time, you could get these nicotine products when you were under 21 years old. So I think that that is an important thing to do. Um, and you know, getting, getting the message out and um, letting parents, teachers, coaches, and kids know that this is an addictive substance. This is something that may be with you much, much longer than, than you had hoped for and um, might become something that uh, you're going to have a very hard time giving up. He is Dr. Craig Allen, Medical Director for the Rushford Center and Vice President of Addiction Services for the Hartford Healthcare Behavioral Network. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.